0: All right, this is Kamran. Um, so t- this podcast is going to be different, this episode. Uh, basically, we had we had a webinar session where uh, brides and grooms were able to um, share questions they had so that we could have a lawyer come on and answer them. The questions were specific to um, essentially people who have lost their deposits due to COVID-19. Um, We recorded the session on zoom so there's a video aspect to it Uh, unfortunately the sound is not super great when recording through zoom that's not typically what we use for recording our podcast but we had to do it uh, to accommodate uh, a large audience so with that said I hope you enjoy this episode I recommend uh, turn up the volume um, since the sound sounds a little bit uh, lower than usual in the actual recording of the webinar all right Enjoy. Great. Welcome, everybody. My name is Kamran. Um, Some of you might recognize my name if we've talked uh, on any of these social media platforms, uh, on Facebook and such. Uh, Wanted to spend the next uh, five minutes giving an overview of what we'll cover, an agenda. Spend about 45 minutes um, going through the questions that a lot of you have already shared beforehand. And then at the end, we'll kind of have 10 minutes to do fireside open Q&A. So uh, let's go ahead and get going. So just general disclaimer, the contents of this video slash audio Zoom meeting shouldn't be taken as legal advice. This is really uh, meant to be for informational purposes to help folks understand what their options are so that they can kind of do what works best for them. Um, Some additional context, uh, you know, my name is Kamran. I am using, um, like I actually have a a, a platform I support with a couple of my teammates who are also on this call and that's the platform through which we're hosting this event, that platform is called planevents.ca and it's a platform for discovering and reviewing Indian wedding vendors. Um, in terms of you know, what to expect, uh, overall uh, what we're trying to achieve is um, we're not here to you know, necessarily uh, tell people exactly what they would like to hear. Not what, We don't wanna tell them what they would like. Um, some people might like what they hear, some people might not, like, might not like what they hear. The point being is the answers that, that will be shared here that's based on research that was done beforehand, um, facts and findings. So it's, it's meant to be uh, in the spirit of honesty and transparency based on the information that here uh, discovered. Um, with that said, uh, if folks aren't super familiar um, with Zoom, I had mentioned that uh, in the last 10 minutes we'll have an open q and I know that the audience has been muted So what that means is if you do have questions that come up, use the Zoom group chat. Um, It's on the right hand side of the Zoom meeting that you have open right now. Uh, Bottom right hand corner is called Zoom group chat and when you send the questions um, right above the message box there is a drop down that lets you choose who you want to send the messages to. So make sure that you send those messages to everyone. There's literally a user or an option in there that reads as everyone. Um, with that said, we're gonna go ahead and jump into the questions. These are questions many of you, many of you submitted to us. Um, I'll be asking the questions on your behalf and then Remy will go ahead and answer. Remy, you have anything you wanna add before we get started?
1: Um, yeah, so on my Zoom platform, the chat is at the bottom like of oh, the really? yeah okay. so i think it may just depend just so people um know that that's that's where you can also drop the chat if it's not in the view that um Gimran is saying it's like awesome. they'll be like participants chat share screen record i took my glasses off because of the glare reactions I'll <laughs> be getting a lot of those <laughs> but um it's there and yeah like he said just to use uh, the everyone type of thing and what i was gonna say is we have like we have a lot of questions so I would kind of advise to wait until near the end of our session to ask the questions because maybe we're already gonna go through that and you'll get your answer. Um, if not, then of course, you know, ask away, but just for, I guess, to like for us to be concise and not be scrolling through so many, the question might be answered already. Um, As Kamran said, this is not legal advice. I'm not giving legal advice over Zoom. I could get in a lot of trouble for this. Um, so I want to give that disclaimer out there because um, for me, that would be liability and could ruin my career if I'm giving legal advice over, over Zoom, which is why I'm not going to answer some of the questions. And I've told Kamran that some of the questions were quite lengthy and could take me an hour or two to respond to just on their own. And so I hope you all understand that. I'm sure you do if I give you this perspective on things. Um, but yeah, just like a talk about your options, what's worth it, what's not worth it um you know how you can move forward and maybe how the court would view things just because you know being in practice we see what the court likes and what they don't like and um that also affects us as lawyers and affects you as you know the consumer and i'm divorced now but i have been married so i understand the position that you're all in um having been a past bride and i'm sure i'll get married again and so i empathize with all of you on that level as to how difficult this is as you know you planned your wedding and you want everything done the way you want it um but it's an unprecedented time for for everybody vendors included um and you and the court system and so i just want to i just want to put that out there and before kumran and i did the podcast last time i did do a search online to see if there's been any case law on this type of topic <laughs> obviously very rare to be like oh you know can we get our vendor deposit returned during the middle of a pandemic? Like it's a very specific type of case, but I wanted to just see if there was anything, you know, active nature, tornado, earthquake, you know, any, any case like that, that the court would see as what they say analogous. So a parallel case that they would apply in this type of circumstance. And, and I've looked and there hasn't been anything. And so I just wanted to be, to be clear about that. Um, so, you know, going forward. So that's a long spiel, but um, I guess we'll get started.
0: And uh, before we, before I jump into asking the questions, I did want to let folks know that um, this recording in audio version and video version will get published today. It'll go on Instagram TV, YouTube. It'll also get published across podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, and so on. So anybody that did sign up for this, I will reach back out by email with links to all of that and um, any questions that we're not able to get to today because if we run out of time, Rumi and I will be having a follow on podcast episode to go through those questions. It will not be live uh, and I will share a link to that episode when it is available. So let's go ahead and jump into things Rumi. Um Sounds The first question we have is, are we entitled to refunds of deposits to vendors who cannot provide services due to COVID restrictions? If entitled to refunds, how much and how do we go about getting them?
1: Yeah, so this question is, I mean difficult to answer from a legal standpoint because every contract looks different. I'm sure there are some vendors that haven't even got you to sign a contract in paper form what you would naturally describe a contract to be. With clauses and signatures or, or whatever. Um, a contract can also be over text message, over email, right? I don't want to get too legal, but there are just elements that bring up, um, or that you have to suffice in order to have a contract. Like, what's the offer? Did you accept that? You know, just like, okay, hey, we'll provide you video for $14,000. You say, okay, you've accepted that, right? You give the deposit down, blah, blah, blah. So it doesn't have to be, I should preface by saying that it doesn't have to be a formal contract that you would, expect right um to be disputed or not like it could be in many different forms and the court will the court will um will look at that actually before i just want to say when it comes to you know text messages emails um instagram dms whatever um communications with your vendors keep all of that um you know in a folder Whether it's you know you've had a phone conversation with them, you've met them in person. I'm assuming social distancing or or over Zoom or whatever. Have notes of everything. Um, It's a he said she said game. It all comes down to whatever evidence you have in the event that you do end up going forward with legal action, which we'll come we'll talk about a little bit more. But it is important to to keep all of that information. Were you gonna say something, Carmen?
0: Yeah, there was uh, I think a a follow on question to that same question where it it, so. so if you're entitled to refunds, how much and how do we go about getting them?
1: Yeah. So again, so I'm going to come back to the question. I just wanted to give that preface because that's going to go for every single question that, that comes up here, basically, like having all that stuff screen recorded or screenshot, whatever. But um, yeah, like it, it really is contract specific. Um, you'd have to look at what the clause says. Is there even a is there a clause? First of all, do you have a formal contract? What does it say about refunding the deposits? And um, and or have you only had that discussion over an email? And so there really is no blanket statement to say you have a certain entitlement to something um, or to get something back. From what I know, because I, I do know a lot of vendors in the industry, everyone's been dealing with this very subjectively. Um, people have been like not returning them. I don't know anyone that hasn't done that, that has, sorry, taken that step. I know there obviously are vendors that are doing that, given the questions and what I've kind of heard here and there. I haven't been reading much, but, you know, people are giving zero dollars. Some people are giving maybe 100% back, some 25, 75, 50. And so everyone's kind of using their own discretion right now. And so when it comes to how much are you entitled to get back? There actually really is no answer. It would depend on what you've agreed to. And um, if if there is even that sort of information in the agreement that you have formal or not, if you're like, okay, Hey, I'm not going to go ahead with my wedding. They're like, okay, well you forfeit the deposit. Like, okay. Yeah. That's something you might just find out now. Um, and so there really, there really is no entitlement to get something back. Um, that's for a lot of the questions here. It would depend on what the contract says and what they're willing to give you, (laughs) um, essentially, um, and negotiating that and, I also want to say, and this goes for all the questions, is like, as I said, it's unprecedented. The vendors are going through this for the first time, as are you, you know, you're losing money, but they're also losing money and they also have families to feed. And so a lot of these people have taken these deposits and use them as their income, right? Um, They're not sitting in what lawyers would say, like a trust pooled account where they're only taking the deposit into effect at the time of your booking, right? They've they've used that money, that's their income. Um, And so, it's like shit on both sides for sure. And I can, I can see it, you know, that not like striking well with a lot of people, but at the end of the day, um, it, is, it does come down to your subjective agreement and what the vendor is willing to, to provide to you um, outside of, let's say, taking any sort of action, right?
0: Okay, uh, let's move on to the next question. The next question is, if we do not cancel our event, and our event date passes without us receiving services from our vendors, what are we entitled to? And what is the process? If we go to small claims court, what are the chances we will receive judgment in our favor?
1: Yeah, so I'm just going to cut out the questions open again. So I'm assuming that the judgment in the favor would be to get a deposit back. Um, and or whatever money has already been given. Um, Small claims, just like any other court, is, again, subjective on what the court decides. They're going to look at previous case law. I mean, in this specific instance, there is no case law on this type of situation. So they're going to have to go and pick and choose from other cases that are the most similar to create a precedent for everybody moving forward. And so when it comes to that, there is no real hey, you're going to get this amount back from your vendor. Um, it just, again, becomes a game. He said, she said, what was your contract? What was your agreement? Which is what they're going to look at. They're not going to go above and, and beyond. They're going to look at what you've given them, what your agreement was, what that information was. And that's how they interpret. The court's job is not to ask for evidence, right? And so they're going to look at what was the agreement there. And so if your date's passed and you, I guess, maybe by chance you are like, okay let's just keep the date for the middle of July hoping that things are going to get better and it hasn't passed and you haven't talked to your vendor about that um, ahead of time I would think that in that event you would potentially forfeit the deposit um, just given the uncertainty of things right when it comes to what the chances are for judgment in your favor it's again what you're actually giving to the court as evidence um, what has the vendor's actions or communications been with you? Have they been, um, I don't know, negative (laughs) in their remarks, not accommodating you? Um, Have they given you a lot of options, right? If they've tried to be reasonable with you, and this isn't any question, if they've tried to be reasonable with you and try to give you, you know, like a way out, or I know some people are doing like, hey, somebody can buy your deposit out, right? At the end of the day, it's like if they're trying to accommodate you, it's a two-way street and that actually doesn't look good in court. If if the court would see or the judge there, justice would see that you've not been accommodating the other way around and that the vendors try to do everything to help you and you just are very stern on what you want um, given the unprecedented time. Um, I'll just say right now that more often than not, um, it's not going to, I'm not going to say it's not going to go in your favor. It will just go to to be careful what I say here. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. Um, yeah, just just be as accommodating as you can as well during this time is what I want to say. All
0: right, that's fine. To um, move on to the next question, these are kind of variations of one another, but here's mm-hmm. the next one. If I were considering legal action, what would be the next steps and associated costs? In what situations would you recommend or not recommend going down this path?
1: Yeah, so let's just say now, so let's see. right before the Q&A, what I'll do is, um, Grandma and I tried this out before we started. We're gonna use a share screen option. So I'm gonna show you guys the tribunal option and the small claims option, how to file those claims online, right? So explain that process. And so I guess any sort of question that has to do with what's the process, we can just like skip over and like we'll go through, we'll just go through that at the end so we can show everybody on the screen um, what it looks like and like what to click and whatnot. Sure. But I guess in this question, I could say the next steps and associated costs. And so, yeah, it really is about a cost benefit analysis at this point in time. Um, As harsh as this is just coming from like a friend point of view or an outsider it's like what are you wanting to do to make a point and what are you actually wanting to do because you feel like you are owed thousands and thousands of dollars right so it's not it's not about getting back at your vendor for not giving you a deposit back um i mean for a lot of people it is because as i said it's like it's upsetting right but the cost to file a claim and run a claim through um will likely be five to six times the amount of your actual deposit so let's say i have a calculator here let's say even, okay, let's say you even have a junior lawyer, okay? Let's say the junior lawyer's rate is $225 an hour. That cost, that's like for the lawyer and for all the, like the assistance fees and all that, right? If you guys have gone to lawyers, you know it's not cheap. So let's say $225. Let's say at minimum, somebody's spending 10 hours on your, on your file, right? That's $2,250 right there. On top of that, you got tax. So let's say, let's just say that's like three grand, right? And you have disbursements what are the filing fees filing fees are like a couple hundred dollars right how many times are people going to appearances are they charging you here and there for for travel fees right lawyers we charge for everything it's kind of like you know a doctor is not going to do surgery without doing consult without looking at your clinical records without looking at your previous medical history like so much work goes into it which maybe it's just an education lesson for people of how much work is going to go into looking at this contract Right? Like I, I've looked at contracts and had 40 page reports on one contract. Um, right. That's not going to be the instance here. Cause it's going to be a lot simpler, but it's like going, it's like, how much material do you have? How many text messages, conversations, how many times you got to go back and forth and you're charged for that every time. So you could be looking at, you know, even like $10,000 for just wanting to get a grand back. Um, it could be as little as you fo- you file the small claims thing yourself and you're out $500. Right. It all depends if you want to do it on your own which is very simple well simple enough for um somebody that how do i say this like you don't have to have like a law degree or even a bachelor's in order to know how to file in the civil tribunal it's meant for a lay person for anybody to be able to go and to be able to access it and so if you're looking to do it on your own you're not looking at too much money right but it also is the amount of time you're going to put into it the investment the Supreme Court itself is very backed up. The tribunal and BC claims, um, small claims, you can do some stuff online right now, or if not all of it. I only really practice in the Supreme Court, but you're able to do all that online. And let's say it ends up being something where you wanna take it to Supreme Court for whatever reason, I mean, it would have to be over $35,000 to do that. Um, you're looking at at least a two to three year delay. So it's also like how much mental like, strain do you wanna put on yourself over the next two or three years over that amount of money? Um, and so, so the cost associated law, lawyer wise upwards of $5,000. Um, if you do everything on your own, it could be a lot less, but also take into consideration the amount of time it's going to take you to, um, to just given the circumstances right now, the tribunals are still running, but it just depends on which way you're going to go about it.
0: Okay. And then one, I, one thing I do want to make clear, just based on the, um, you know, with, my team did a survey of people who had lost their deposits and the amounts kind of vary, but uh, at least from the from our response, it was like an average potential loss of like almost $13,000. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it, it might be worth it, it might not be worth it. It just depends, I think, on your, in your individual
1: situation. And the thing is, if $13,000 is gonna be spread among more than one vendor.
0: Right, yeah, yeah that's the other challenge. You're right? gonna
1: have a claim, more than one claim. You can't go and claim for all the money in one claim.
0: Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, any of these general process questions we'll uh, revisit when we do this mm-hmm. here later. So moving on to the next question. Um, so somebody asked on the Facebook group I'm following BC Indian wedding vendor reviews slash recommendations and another one called vendors refusing refunds COVID-19. It seems many are refraining from ref- from revealing which vendors are refusing to return deposits is there any legal risks if couples expose the name of the vendors who are refusing to reimburse deposits or treating customers unfairly otherwise
1: no it's just like a general review right you're giving a review um the note i made here was to be cautious of defamation um you don't want to be saying something about a vendor that isn't true because you're upset that could get you into trouble if you're saying something that wasn't true right so if you're just saying this person did xyz or you're giving a part of a story you know people give parts of the story all the time i hear this all the time from my friends that are vendors like you know they're saying all of this but they're not saying what we said to them because you want to make the vendor look bad again it's all about like remember it's a person on the other side as well that's also dealing with this um what you say and put out there of course reflects your you and your reputation. And also at the end of the day, it's like the goal I would hope is not to to have a vendor completely lose out on future business unless it's to that point where you you think that, you know, they've done something so disparaging that, you know, you want to blast them. <laughs> hey, I blasted a couple of vendors. I know that, right? I really have, full well knowing that I mean it was all in honesty. Um and anyways so it's like I understand that point of view but don't go and be posting things that aren't right that aren't true Um, you know it's like there's no I wouldn't say there's a harm in exposing a vendor it's like if, if it's the truth that's what happened and you want other people to know then I can't say for sure that there would be no legal implication but if that person gets mad enough and wants to make, you know, Sue you for defamation for whatever reason, I don't think the comments are getting out to that extent. You're probably just wanting to say, for example, uh, anyone, I don't want to actually mention any vendor names cause I don't want anyone to think that any place is good or bad or whatever, but you might just be like, Oh, X hall, you know, didn't do this for me. Like whatever. Everybody has a right to know how, how you've been treated, but, just highlighting the point to just make sure you're telling the truth.
0: Awesome. Okay, uh, moving on to the next question. Um, are vendors, parentheses, hall owners allowed to hold on to our deposits if we want to cancel due to COVID 19? Also, my guest list is 400 people, so I wouldn't be allowed to hold my event in August, anyways. So, in this case, wouldn't the hall offer my money back? The hall owner at X Hall, uh, I, I took the name out, said I have three years to hold my wedding, but plans have changed and we and we are no longer having a hall party. I don't want to go to small claims court. And the city of Richmond told me that the owner needs to give me uh, my deposit back.
1: Yeah, I don't know who at the city of Richmond you spoke to. Um, this question was difficult for me like when I was reading it because how I'm reading it, and correct me if I'm wrong if you're on this this um Zoom right now, it's that you voluntarily decided to change your plans. Um you decided not to have a party anymore, let's say altogether. So you've changed the plans on your end, and so you want the money back, um, which doesn't even give the hall owner any option to to recoup the money that they would have had from your party, right? And so thinking about it that way it's like of course so many people have decided to cancel their weddings and stuff just to have something small or just to do whatever or just postpone it indefinitely or whenever things are looking better but in this instance i would i would forfeit the deposit um just because you've decided to not go through with the party um as hard as i'm sure that is to hear um and in essence you've kind of screwed the hall owner on on owner over as well um because they can't hold your party anymore because you don't want to have it, um, and so I see that as a kind of a two-way street. So in my mind, that would be the compensation to the hall owner for you um, not wanting to go through with your event, because they've ad- they've, ad- they've given you an option, they've given you um, um time to go forward, and you know three years, so you just decided not to, and so I think that's just like a shitty outcome for for that couple. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I mean, if that person is on this call. We're not interpreting the question in full. Please correct us in the chat. Otherwise, um, we're going to go on to the next question. Wait a second, I'm scrolling down. Okay, um, if a customer wins in court, is the vendor required to pay any interest accrued for holding on to the deposit?
1: What? Oh, I can't see it. Um, that would be. Oh, there we are. I'm going through the questions at the same time. Yeah, it depends (laughs) on the agreement. Um, Again, no, there's no right or wrong here. (laughs) The thing I love about law, but which is the most annoying, is that there's not always an answer to something. So the court can interpret costs and interest as they want and or the registrar um, in the court. And so it's really up to the judge, <laughs> your lawyer, or you would make up an argument of how much money you want and how much interest you want, why you want that interest, um, you know, and, and and provide that. And um, they will determine based on based on the evidence you give. Um, so I'm it, sure it's possible, right? It's possible, but um, there's no clear cut answer as costs in any sort of claim um, vary. You're going to have like, let's say one accident could have 35,000, the next one could have 75, the next one could have, like 13, right? It's all based on what you give and um, the efforts that you took to, to mitigate your loss. Meaning, what have you done to to help yourself in the situation? Which is why I say don't always be accommodating. They want to look at your mitigation efforts. What have you done on your end to um, just make things, you know, better for yourself and easier on the vendor, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And I think uh, the main thing there, it sounds like it comes down to, um, what, your, what you and slash or your lawyer' stances on the specific amount that you're defining should be paid back and the specific amount of interest along with like justification and then that, and then the answer to that depends on basically what the judge says, right?
1: Exactly.
0: Okay, um, moving on to the next question. What can existing 2021 couples, parentheses, those who have not rescheduled, close parentheses do, to prepare and plan ahead for a possible banning of large gatherings next year in the summer in a practical and contractual sense?
1: Yeah, so um, I think it's a good plan moving forward with new vendors um, to, or vendors, you know, just to have some sort of existing, I don't know, just to have a communication with them to be like, oh, hey, you know, we, none of us saw this coming. Can we put something in our agreement um, in the event that this happens again or continues, and we have another wave, like you know, ask them to to come up with some sort of agreement there um, to to put to put that forward. And I think to have a plan B, right? If you have to have a plan B, as like okay, in the worst case this happens, um, what do we want to do? Because we really don't know how long this is going to go on for, at least not right now. And so I think it's good to just have that have that plan in mind um ahead of time just so it's plan if plan a doesn't work god forbid i don't think that's going to happen but if plan a doesn't work you already know what your plan b is right and you've already kind of you already have an agreement with your vendors as to what's going to happen with the deposit money um i would say maybe just wait a little bit like a couple of months before you start asking your vendors because they're probably dealing with you know all these 2020 brides right now Um, so when they're maybe in a little bit of a calmer space um and not not like, you know, so hectic and overwhelmed, then just talk to them about how you can um, approach that situation and, you know, just for your own assurance and insurance.
0: Cool. Um, there was a question. It, it was more of like a statement and I'm going to kind of summarize the question, uh, summarize the statement. So somebody had shared the feedback that um, They feel like it's become um, the wedding culture or like a South Asian weddings has kind of um, become exuberant. Like people want, they feel like people are putting on like these really big weddings uh, and uh, it's lost the meaning of the purpose of getting married. And the question, which I'm just posing here to be um, a good steward is, and it's not related, it doesn't seem related to COVID-19. Question is, are there any decent premarital counselors out there?
1: Yeah, so for those of you that follow me outside of this or that know me I do a lot of I do spiritual work I'm like a psychic and so I I do I do that I actually did a video I think I don't know less than two weeks ago about um the impact that COVID like alive the impact that COVID is having on relationships um when it comes to relationships falling apart because it's been about the wedding and not the marriage Um, and it's something that I've seen a lot even with friends and stuff of mine it's like everyone wants the kebab stuff of like I want this 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 and then what happens when when the wedding's over and then you like realize like actually kind of hate you that happens all the time right you see people I'm really honestly no one to talk because I'm divorced right but like generally like it's like (laughs) um obviously you get divorced because something isn't working out right we're still good friends but it's like it wasn't a match not that I'm saying that things came um because of like I don't know what I was gonna say but you know it's it just is what it is but it is important to like during this time when I talk about on a spiritual sense on my on my page asking yourself you know the type of relationship like what type of relationship you're in um looking at how much effort and time you've put into just the wedding and not your relationship because you let that kind of get away from you um and then things are just like you're gonna you're gonna realize when your wedding's over you're gonna understand like how much time you put into planning it when you see that like you have all this free time when all the bills are paid and everything's done you'll be like what was i doing for 10 hours a day right or or you're going to be like oh crap okay our relationship like was like great because you start all these arguments and stuff during you know over a vendor and over what you want and over what you don't want and covid and it's like you know everything's just like going all over and so it really is an important time to look at that because i have had messages from people that follow my spiritual stuff um, that have broken up with, their called off engagements, called off weddings, realizing that they want more of life. And on a spiritual sense, that's what COVID is. Of course, it's happening scientifically and people are dying, but this isolation period is really forcing people to look at their relationships um, from a new perspective, especially if you're um, in whatever sort of distance, right? You're not, maybe you're not seeing the person. And so I could say that really focus on your relationship and <laughs> this is a time to get out right it's an easy way out right now if you've decided right um that this isn't going to be for you COVID is like a blessing in disguise and that way to be like we just called off the wedding because we're too stressed out and then let it fizzle away and it's easier for you to, to do that not saying you should um premarital counselors there are a couple of counselors um in like the Langley area What's their name? I'm gonna Google it right now. So if you're actually looking at this, um, but it is, and there's no harm in going to count a counselor. Like there really is no harm in needing guidance. Everyone has difficulties in their relationships. That means that you're going and you're being honest about your relationship and what you need to work on. Right? It ha- it goes both ways, and just having the open transparency. Oh, transparency, sorry. Oh, bestmarriages.ca. Um, that is one place and bestmarriages.ca. And I don't know the other one, um, but, but I know that's a good one. They only, they only um, really work with couples. I know that for sure. Cool. And so if you're looking, you know, counseling is expensive. So just start to like look, in, look into it and see what options you have Right. Sure,
0: awesome. Um, next question. Our month of planner is refusing to not only give back our, our retainer, but it is but is also asking for the rest of the fees. Our wedding was supposed to be June 6th and got canceled by the venue. We let her know on May 4th, which means her month hadn't started and she won't be working the 10 hour day of our wedding. This is absurd that she thinks by answering a few texts and emails, she deserves $2,000 for, for work she hasn't done yet, exclamation mark three of them I don't I don't want to drop that uh we live in Los Angeles would love to hear thoughts on this and
1: yeah I I think that that's absurd as well um that someone would want you to pay for for a service that was not completed um in full like at this point you you can't do it there's really no option um and I'm assuming you know okay well it's saying not only not giving back our retainer like the deposit portion of it, I've already been through. I don't want to keep hammering it down. Um, at the end of the day, it wasn't an option to do that, right? Let's say, unfortunately, you're in the States, so you can't even have like a civil ceremony right now. I mean, you're not going to really need a wedding planner for a civil ceremony of two, three people necessarily, right? <laughs> Who knows? But um, but no, like, is my, like that doesn't make, on a contractual sense, makes no sense to me. Um, Yeah, I don't, I don't think
0: that that should, no. Okay. All right, that makes sense. Uh, Moving on to the next question. Sorry, there's like a lot of questions. So I'm kind of like rushing, somewhat rushing through them. Uh, I'm wondering if we would be able to get details on a class action lawsuit if it comes down to it. And many of the wedding vendors are refusing to return deposits even if there were no services rendered.
1: Yeah, um, so a class action lawsuit has to actually be classified as a class action lawsuit. Um, the court needs to approve that, right? You need to have a class of people um, that meet a certain criteria. Thing is, is a class action lawsuit would have to be against a p- specific vendor, right? You're going against a defendant or everybody suing, let's say, would have to be going against like the same sort of people. Um, and so, hey, if you have like 20 people that wanna file against one vendor, <laughs> Okay, right? Um, but, but there are requirements for a class action and you can't um, necessarily, from what I, I don't practice class action, but from what I know, I just read a little bit about it because I was like, pretty sure you had to get classified as a class action and all that. But you're going to be, um, like, let's say, I don't think this is what the question was, but maybe in case you guys have another question, you can't be like, hey, I am going to sue XYZ vendor <laughs> right? In one claim. Really doesn't work that way unless there's a common interest there, right? Between them or they're linked in whatever way. It's not going to work. And so, yeah, you could, but you're going to have to get a group of people together against one vendor.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Uh, It looks like a follow-on question, possibly. Uh, I'd also like to get details on what our options are in a scenario where a vendor has a deposit, But isn't available the date you need them for for your rescheduled wedding do they legally have to return your deposit also how does a non-refundable deposit clause work at a time like this where government is limiting number of people in gatherings
1: the non-refundable deposit clause again would be specific on the actual contract so you know what exactly they're saying um when it comes down to you know they're not available on the date of rescheduling as I said before, it's like a unprecedented time. So what I'm reading here, it's not that they haven't tried to accommodate it. It just so happens that maybe you, maybe like the specific date you want, you know, they're not available and or all your vendors are available on one day and they're not, you know, like that kind of situation. Um, I think it's just fair to to forfeit it at that point because they're losing the business, not because, you know, they haven't been, accommodating per se, in that kind of way. And if they've, you know, if they're just like, okay, we'll give us this as, your, as our consideration, as you call it, call it in law to let the contract go, um, then I think that that would be fair enough. Um, but when it comes to the non-refundable deposit, I'm assuming there's more of a lengthy um, agreement here, um, or at least like on paper form, not like through email and text, that it would have to be looked at specifically because like I do contract law um, or dead before my current job, and it's all come, it all comes down to the interpretation of words on a contract. And, and any of these sort of questions, right? It all comes down to the interpretation of a word, and that's what the, that's what the, will, the judge will look at as well.
0: Awesome. Okay, the next question, uh, my question is based on the response I've gotten from most vendors where they will not return any deposit and it will only transfer them for rescheduling. Is there a legal action that can still be taken?
1: Um, yeah, so I guess we've like, kind of answered this question um, in depth, but we'll go over the options to file the claim um, at the end of the day, like, you know, if you, you want to do that. Um, so there's obviously options for all of you in this, right? It's just a matter of, do you want to go through with that? Um, looking at, you know, the, the amount of your deposit. So sure. yes, there's legal action, but subjective.
0: Okay. Uh, so this, this next question is pretty lengthy and pretty unique because it has to do with like multiple countries involved. Okay. Uh, I'm going to read it off. I am unfortunately having to deal with international contracts as well as local ones. I found this article from the government of UK and the Consumer Protection Act. They actually shared a link uh, with us. Um, and then the person, uh, person goes on to say, The statement talks about non-refundable deposits in a contract and how to deal with them. Essentially, they're asking for businesses that are being given grants and benefits from the government to not double dip by also keeping deposits and having clients bear the burden of covering these vendors' costs. Uh, The CMA, which I don't know what that stands for, the CMA also has a form where you can report businesses who are not refunding or acting fairly. Will we have something similar in place? Can we take vendors to small claims court? How long would these procedures take? Can businesses legally ask you to move or postpone your wedding instead of offering a refund if they cannot provide the service as outlined in the contract? Does the law of frustration apply? What I'm looking to get out of this video call is to see whether it is even worth fighting for with lawyer fees and international costs versus just agreeing to postponing the wedding until next year?
1: Blanket <laughs> statement, agree to postpone the wedding to next year if you're already planning on doing that. Uh, I can't speak to the UK and I didn't have time to read the the link. Um, but yeah, the law of frustration can apply here. What frustration is, is you know, you're not able to actually fulfill your contract for whatever reason, therefore it's frustrated. Um, but again, as I said at the beginning, there's no law on this. And so everything is un- like, it's up in the air with the court system as well as to how these are going to be dealt with. And so, um, yeah, like they shouldn't be double dipping, right? If if you qualify for a grant and you haven't taken it and, you know, or whatever, or you got the grant and you're still holding on to deposits and that was enough to recover it. Like, we don't know. It's going to be really vendor specific as to the amount of money they're out. Right. Cause I don't, I don't think that the grants are really, I think, I don't know if they're $40,000 and how many more you can, but I don't know if it goes up in price. I know that there's that $140,000 one. So it's like depending on how much the deposits were um, and, and what the agreements are and what, what they're trying to do. I don't know. Of course, as I've already said, you can go to small claims, but I don't know what the process is going to be here. Or um, I'm just reading the question at the same time. That's fine. Yeah, I don't know if, if I haven't heard anything. Um, even in the legal system. The, basically what they're trying to do right now on the law side of things, I don't know on the government side of things, they're just trying to like, make everything as smooth as possible for all the existing claims and things that are happening urgently. And so I haven't heard anything new um, about you know, processes moving forward. Um, to the, yeah, is it worth fighting for? I mean, we've already kind of gone through that in terms of how much money it's gonna cost you. Um, so,
0: yeah. Uh, Next question, Uh, what constitutes as using the act of nature clause in a contract? My contract states that an act of nature will forfeit the deposit, but it seems terribly unfair as there were no services rendered and I I informed them well in advance prior to the event. The clause seems to suggest that it is something unforeseen by both parties days before the event, while for my case, it is not my wedding is in June.
1: Yeah, like, um, it looks like this vendor had already done the due diligence in thinking about something like this ahead of time. Um, It's like, you know, home insurance, you have home insurance, there's an earthquake, you pay a premium, you get the money back, like you don't, you don't know that, you know, you didn't necessarily know that the earthquake was going to happen, right? But you had home insurance in place or whatever. And so you're able to you know, get money back. In this instance, they've already kind of, this is an act of nature. This wasn't, this wasn't something that anyone could have planned and they kind of, you know, were smart in already having thought of that. Um, it is an unforeseen situation and that's what some of these clauses are for, right? It's their own assurance and insurance to, to help themselves in, in un, during an unforeseen event. Um, and so though it's terribly unfair, they kind of, you know, they've taken the precaution on their end to be able to retain the money in in the event that they can't even provide the service to you. Um, and so, yeah, like I think it's smart that they had that in their contract. To be honest.
0: Okay, so we have about um, 20 minutes left. I'm just doing a quick time check. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. Uh, over the next 10 minutes, we'll keep plowing through um, these questions um, and. If within 10 minutes there aren't any additional questions in the um, chat, um, we will assume that there aren't any additional questions for the open Q&A session. So we'll just kind of keep going through these questions and then do the screen share and then uh, yeah, wrap up. Exactly. Awesome. So um, next question, can unjust enrichment be applied to vendors who have not rendered a service but are choosing to keep the deposit?
1: Yeah, so it depends on the contract. Um, and you know, the amount of money they've taken. And so the example that came to mind is like, let's say you've paid a vendor um, outright $10,000 for your photos, right? You've paid the deposit and you've paid an extra $8,000 for your pictures. If your pictures can't be taken and they keep that extra money, it's possible that it could be unjust enrichment, right? Again, up to the court's interpretation. I don't wanna say that yes, it would be or not. Um, If it's that they're keeping the deposit, for whatever reason then that would be a little bit different um because and just enrichment it's like you're being essentially you're being compensated for something you haven't done yet right so you're being paid you're being paid in advance um in order to fulfill some sort of like some part of the contract later on Um, and as of right now it's like if they're holding on to more money than just a deposit then it's a lot different than if it's just a deposit because that's just like that's the security and so if they're not able to you know pay you or they're not able to provide you pictures let's say for example and they're holding on to that money then that would be a different situation but it would be um contract specific for sure again
0: okay um next question I initially booked and paid deposits for services for pre-wedding, wedding, and reception events. Now I only have a wedding with less than 50 people. How can we work with vendors to get partial returns on deposits as I'm no longer needing as many services?
1: Yeah. So um, you know, this is kind of it's all about negotiating what you can with your vendors. Um, if you're having people that are not cooperative, I guess, you know, another option other than before a court is negotiation, right? You can have informal or formal negotiation. So informal is just being, hey, we're gonna talk it out and see what we can come to, right? If we can come to an agreement. Okay. Before you go to like a formal like a formal negotiation is like arbitration mediation, which are two separate things. Um, where you have like a third party kind of assessment. I think with arbitration, you can't have you can't go to court because it's more of like a system um rather than someone mediating both sides and so it's like before like the middle step before that is i guess what i would recommend you do is like to write a letter right a demand letter being like okay you know i want to discuss this or this is what i want um, back from you in the event that you don't we want to take these steps right whether that's a formal negotiation whether that's i'm gonna go to tribunal i'm gonna go to small claims right but always try to have these things in writing um, for all of you not just for this question um, to try to negotiate fairly and take all of those steps before you kind of jump from, well, you didn't do what I want to do. I'm going to sue you, right? Try to take the options in between to come to some sort of um, agreement. And it's going to be different with every vendor that you have. Um, but maybe just write like a blanket letter out to try to get, you know, your point across or, or see how you can get some of your money back. Cool. Uh, this
0: next question Um, we're not going to go into depth about it because I think we'll address it when we do the screen share of the various options. But just if you're on the call, it was the question around um, having a $6,000 deposit at Bankel Hall for a 500-person reception. So we're going to speak to that, I think, more broadly when we do a screen share of options. Mm -hmm. Moving on to the question after that, uh, we have a 20-person private house rental booked with social distancing requirements, it is not safe to have 20 persons from different households staying in one home. So we reached out to the business renting the home, but they refused to refund our $4,250 deposit. Since other vendors like Airbnb and hotels have refunded bookings due to COVID, are we uh, entitled to any refunds for this booking and we, that we can no longer use? Additional context. The house rental is directly through the landlord. The owner of a tent company rents his house for weddings. It's not listed anywhere. We found out through vendors that he rents it privately um, and he only check, accepted check payment.
1: Yeah, so I didn't look at the contract um, because I'm, I'm not going to do that, to be honest. Um, it takes a lot of work on my end, so I didn't look at the attachment. Um, but but yeah, um, it's interesting. This is an interesting question for me because this is something he's renting out privately. And so we don't really know um, he or she, what they are doing in order to follow regulations or not. Right. So it's like, kind of like, okay, are they doing this like privately and profiting and not claiming that they're, they're renting out their house? Right. So in that instance, if you, you say you want to take legal action, I mean, you might get your money back right away if they're doing something that maybe they shouldn't be doing. I don't want to say they are or not. I really don't know what's going on here. But um, it would be like a, an option for the tribunal given the amount of, of the deposit. I would I would just write, like I was saying, one of those letters to try to recover the money. And in that letter, just say that, you know, um, you might take it to the tribunal if, if you don't hear back. And always like set out a specific amount of time in the letters, like two weeks or three weeks or whatever. Um, I don't know, I don't know if you've told them that, hey, all the other platforms are refunding the money, but it's like, you can't use the house anyway, so it's going to be sitting there. Um, Not that he's gonna be able to fill it up with anybody else. Like, I don't, I don't know, this one's like really, this one hit me a little bit different than other vendors, given the circumstance, and so,
0: yeah. Okay, so we have about um, five questions left, and I wanna try to wrap these up in the next three or four minutes. Mm -hmm. So we'll go on to the uh, next one. Some vendors are offering to hold our deposits for up to a year to rebook our event. This does not make sense to us as we may move out of BC by next year before, therefore delaying our event has no benefit legally. What are our options? Okay. And I see what you mentioned, but go for it.
1: Yeah. I was (laughs) saying that this question. Um, I didn't understand it fully. Like I see it like you're either going to get married this year, a different way, or you're going to go get married somewhere else. So it's really subjective to, to what your situation is. Um, so it says, therefore, delaying our event has no benefit. So you're gonna get married anyway. Um, so it may just be a situation where you have to forfeit your deposit because they're not able to, to perform their side of the contract anyway, because you wanna get married this year. Um, therefore, it's more, more likely than not that you're gonna have to forfeit it because they're, they're giving you the option Um, but you don't wanna take it right now because of other other situations, not in a negative way, but it's like you have other plans moving forward in your life um, and they just can't accommodate that.
0: Cool, all right, Uh, moving on to the next one. People have suggested several different avenues for handling our concerns with vendors, including small claims court, civil rights tribunal, or placing a complaint with the BBB, which stands for Better Business Bureau. What is your professional opinion on the best avenue to pursue refunds for our deposits?
1: Yeah, so we've already been to tribunal and small claims and I'll I'll go through the differences of those when we go to the screen share or whatever the amounts are. Um, BBB, like I would be cautious going through with the BBB again. I mean, depending on your intentions, the intention I would think is not to ruin someone's business reputation. Um, if it is, then <laughs> maybe check yourself, <laughs> right? If it's something that's not like, You know something that they need to be completely like i don't know punished for right that's a that's a big threshold to me even in court i'll say that right now um very very high threshold to to punish somebody and to ask them what they would say as punitive or aggravated damages very 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 high bar there um so it's not a joke don't just go and say you're gonna go sue somebody in bad faith because you're mad at them like that's what i practiced for a whole year and it's, it's not simple, right? On the contractual side as well. Um, so I'm familiar with it and the likelihood of your success there. I'm not saying that that's, I should just say that because you may hear somebody tell you, oh, it goes to this person in bad faith. Like if it's dumb. The courts don't like it. People are using it for no reason anymore, thinking that it's funny. But they're like the court themselves are not going to damage a, um, a, a company's reputation publicly without really thinking about what the actions were. And I kind of just see the BBB as the same way like if you're going to file a complaint I think it has to be like pretty egregious conduct for for you to be filing that sort of complaint because that's like something that's going to you know hinder their business moving forward Um, whether that's them getting customers what their options are going to be um, and so you know the BBB has the option of denying whatever complaint it is anyway and, and shoving it out the door but I think just from a human compassionate side um, be very cautious what you're what you're filing against a company Um, Because, you know, even though this may not have an effect on you personally, this is going to affect the livelihood of this company and these people that are involved and their families. And so really think about it before you file the complaint. Um, Maybe ask a couple of people before you you go down that road.
0: Uh, In the interest of time, I'm going to skip the next question because it's kind of similar to the previous questions. Right. Um, So the question that we will go to is, how are deposits treated in the following circumstances? when a vendor has not incurred any expenses associated with booking, i.e. no labor, material, or other costs? And then the second part of that question is, what if the vendors are not able to deliver as agreed when terms were first set, i.e. paid in full close to $5,000 for outfit and will not be delivered in time for any event with current shipping restrictions in
1: India? The first part of the question is like, the deposit, let's say, is in consideration of the contract, right? So oh, hey, we're going to hold this date in our calendar for you. And we're not going to take on anybody else. But if they can't take on anybody else anyway, because of COVID, they're, they're already out 75% of the money, let's say, regardless. And so I think it's like kind of the same, no matter what the, the deposit is, or what type of vendor it's for. Even like, you know, the second part of the question is about the linga. It's like, in this situation, it's actually really out of the company's hands. It's like, the linga could be, you know, sitting there in India, but it's not like they have any sort of control as to whether or not it's shipped. It's a total different country um, and situation and when it comes to that. And so, I don't know, maybe just try to negotiate with them and see if, you know, it's not obviously what, necessarily what you want to wear, but like ask if they'll they'll give you some sort of deal or offer you something from what they already have in store, if that's even an option to be like, you know, I. I can't wear the lenga that you guys got for me, but see what they're willing to do for you. And hopefully they will. Um, I think it's just tricky because it's being shipped from another country and they have no control over whether or not it's shipped. Like they, they could have like ful- fulfilled their side of the contract by having it done on time, right? Um, but it's really not up to them to go and like they can't, they can't um, go and pick it up for you and, and bring it to you, unfortunately.
0: Cool, all right, um, last question. Uh, How do you handle a vendor who is not responding to emails, or calls?
1: Yeah, um, I would, as I was saying before, like, make sure you keep a screenshot of everything. Notes of conversations, texts, phone calls, whatever, have them all in a folder. Um, And just a similar letter, like I was saying, like asking them to respond to you. If they have a, like a brick and mortar, like a storefront, you know, go and tape it on their door. Right. Email it to them. Um, tell them that you, you've sent that and to try to get them in communication with you. I mean, I had to deal with this a lot myself, right? Some vendors, they just, they want to get your business in, they take your deposit. And then when it comes to the actual event being over, they don't return any of your calls, right? There's a lot of vendors that do that because they've got their money's worth. They're like, we don't really care anymore, right? We wanted your business and now it's fine for, fine for us because we got our money, right? So you have those types of vendors, but I would just make, make, make note of that. Um, write them a letter and ask them to, to respond to you um, and in the worst case scenario forfeit that deposit if it's going to give you more stress than not or you know we're going to share the screen now I think so you know using one of those options.
0: Yeah I do see that um, somebody does have a question we're going to do the screen share first and then address any probably have like one or two minutes to address any re- remaining questions and we'll make sure to get to the one that was shared just now by SK um, right after the screen share. Okay so I'm going to Make me a host, yeah. Just bear with me, everybody. This is my first time like hosting a thing like this on Zoom, so technical difficulties have been real. Okay, so Remy, I'm gonna go ahead and make you a host.
1: Let's see if this works. Oh.
0: Yes, so you should be able to share your screen.
1: There we go. Yeah, let me open it to a different tab before I start here. Okay. Let me oh, I thought I might have exited for a second. Alrighty, so let's go here. Can we see this screen? Uh, oh, what's going on?
0: There we go. Uh, I do see the screen now. Yeah, okay. But he can't see the screen mentioned in the chat, but I see it.
1: Someone, yeah, just say yes or no. I'm, I'm not gonna I,
0: yeah, somebody said yes.
1: Yes, okay, perfect. So this is a civil resolution tribunal. The CRT um, is, you know, online. You're able to file a claim up to $5,000, right? So the difference between a CRT hearing and a small claims hearing is the amount of money, right? Small claims, you can go up to, I believe, 35000 It could be fifty. I think the 50 is only for personal injury actions like car accidents, okay? So I'm just going to preface by saying I'm not positive if it's 35 or 50. From what I know, over 35, you're going to be going to Supreme Court, right? Which is far more delayed at the moment. But CRT is meant to be very user-friendly. And so you can see this website here, right? Civil Resolution Tribunal, AC.ca. Um And so what you're going to do if you want to make a claim, I've never actually used this properly, but you're going to say apply, right? You're going to want to apply for, for whatever reason. Um, and here you're going to go down to small claims. It's going to be buying or selling, right? It's buying or selling of goods. And so you're going to say, okay, goods or services, I'm a buyer, right? You're going to click start and you're going to go, you're going to go through all of this. So I'll just quickly go through it, um, a little bit of it. I'm using a private computer. But well, as you can see, it's made for the lay person, right? It's, the CRT is meant for an average person to be able to go on it. You don't have to really know anything about the law, right? For, for personal use, of course, I would assume. Was well, the seller in the business a buy? Yeah, you would assume. If you want to be a dick, you can say no. <laughs> what did you buy? Something else, um, right? And so you're gonna just go through this whole thing and, and you're gonna file the claim, let's say. Um, if you want to do that. Let's just go a couple more arrows here. Next, so you can read about all this, right? They want to make it easy for you. Um, maybe it's okay, a problem with payments or money, right? But something else and something else, you can provide more information. There's a problem with payment or cost, the seller wants to see his goods, I was charged for something I didn't want, buyer want, I'm not able to pay, let's say for example, right? And so they're going to give you this whole like spiel. So you read that, you go next, So on and so forth, right? So whatever the options are, as you go on, then you can go back. Let's say, hey, that didn't work for me. I want to choose a different option to see if it's better for me. Oh, I was charged for something I didn't buy, right? So very user-friendly, so you're gonna go through that. Um, And this is for claims that are above five, or that are $5,000 and under. Second option is small claims.
0: Okay, so the first one is civil disputes, which is not small claims.
1: Yeah, this is not small claims. This is the Civil Resolution Tribunal. So they try to resolve whatever they can through the CRT um, if it can be, right? So it's user-friendly. You don't have a judge, but you do have um, the tribunal member. They're all lawyers, practicing lawyers that um, will assess your claim, let's say, right? So that's through the CRT. So that, as I said, is $5,000 or less. And after that is, why is this not working? There you go. Oh gosh, it's not letting me click on the next one. Come on. It'll be difficult. One second here, let me try to move this. Oh yeah, perfect. Small claims. So small claims, as I was saying, I believe that it's 35,000 and just for the accident stuff, it's 50. But um, small claims will only hear your claim that's under $5,000 if for whatever reason, the CRT has refused to hear it, okay? you need to go through the CRT first. And if if it's, let's say within the amount of $5,000 and less, right? If it's more than $5,000 against one vendor, remember that you're not going against multiple vendors on one claim. So I'm doubting that anything is above $5,000 for a deposit, given the amount of deposit you should pay, right? Like let's say 500 bucks to 2000, right? So in the event that CRT said, we're not gonna hear your claim for whatever reason, then you go to small claims. If it's above 5,000, you can go to small claims. You can do it online. So claims over $5,000, start a claim and it gives you all the steps that you need to do that, okay? And it'll have all the options on there. What about court fees or you know, the schedules, like whatever you need to file. Um, and I'm not gonna go through all this because it's very, very lengthy, but you can see it's small claims, oopsies, BC.ca, And so you can read about what the options are there um, you know what you have to file at the registry and whatnot and so
0: yeah and I think I saw there's a link to a tutorial video and yeah section. yeah small
1: claims is good like honestly even I've um, I've can you see me now yeah I can see okay. even I've like watched some tutorial videos and stuff myself because like, you know like at the beginning of practice you're just like okay I want to make sure you're I'm doing everything right and so it is user friendly um, if you're uncertain then you're also able to you know the registry that was backed up, if you try to call them, even for lawyers, we have to go through the same line unless you know somebody there personally. Um, but once the system opens up again, you may be able to go and ask in person. But generally, you know, Google, Google is a friend.
0: Awesome. OK, so there were two questions that came up. Um, let's just do this. I'll ask them. And if you think that it might warrant to be maybe answered in like our pri- private podcast episode, let me know. Okay. Okay. Um, so, we're kind of rear up on time so this first question what happens in a, in a situation where you don't cancel your wedding and then a vendor is not able to perform the service they were contracted for due to a government restriction preventing them from working so i think in this context they're talking about a makeup artist at that point the consumer has not failed to perform their part of the contract but the vendor has would that not cause the contract to be breached by the vendor and therefore make the contract void and deposit returnable would that amount to either frustration of the contract or breach of contract by the vendor due to failure to perform obligations under the contract, i.e. non-performance?
1: Well, they're not not performing because they don't want to. They're not refusing to perform. They're just demanded by whatever regulation that, like, saying that they can't. And so it's really specific. Um, like, again, like, this is unprecedented. So to say that frustration is gonna apply or not, sure. Like we don't know for sure, because there's no law on it. Um, but it's not, um, like it's, it's tough to say, like what's, what's going to happen if, like on the other side, like a vendor is not gonna perform their side of the contract, let's say, if they are gonna risk citations. <laughs> and doing that you know, in order to fulfill their side of the agreement. So in this case, like they've been, they're not able to for whatever reason. Um, and let's say you're assuming you're still going through with your wedding, they have regulations, they have to follow those too, because that puts them out know, liability and they have their own liability and stuff. Um, I think there's a follow-up to that, come on.
0: Yeah, sorry, just, this chat window sucks. Uh, and then somebody asked in the situation above, would we also be, would we also look at what other vendors are doing? For example, there are other makeup artists continuing to perform services.
1: Um, I know that there are like some people that are probably not following proper social distancing protocols, just from what I can see on, um, online on Instagram and stuff. And so like, you know, yeah, if they're keeping the six feet, but they're, they are um, seeing a new, like, you know, two or three people a week, like Dr. Bonnie Henry has said, I'm pretty sure to keep it to the same six people, right? And so I think if someone is really looking out for their best interest as a vendor, or a makeup artist, let's say that's seeing multiple people all the time, or whatever, I don't really know, right? Like, I'm, like, I'm just spitballing here, because I don't know what that exactly happening, or what the agreement was, or who the vendor is, and what type of service it is, like, like, this is like, this is a conversation that could go on for five hours. Um, but if it's something that they have been government mandated not to do, um, then they're not going to do it, right? And, and in that instance, it just goes back to the whole, the whole thing of it's all subjective. It's all based on the vendor. You can say, hey, this person's doing X, Y, Z. But if per- person is doing X, Y, Z by not following the proper protocol, you can't really get mad at the vendor for not doing something that they're actually not
0: supposed to be doing. Cool. And there's one more follow-on to that. I do want to slide in one question. Somebody kind of messaged me. Any uh, other questions that come up, send them over to info at plan events.ca. I've included that email in the chat. And um, if we have enough questions, then Remy and I will get on a podcast episode and address those kind of in a, in a non-live form. But yeah, so the, the other follow-on question uh, from Amber says, and to build on that, we have places like hair salons reopening, which are under similar situations with regards to social distancing.
1: Yeah, but like, I think it's just different. Like, people have their own reasons for not wanting to open or open. Maybe some people are immunocompromised. Like, there are so many things that can, subjective things that can go into somebody opening or not. Um, and not wanting to put themselves at risk because they're in close proximity with people that are immunocompromised. Um, they could be pregnant, they could be sick. they you know it's like there's so many things. there's not a a yes or no answer. Yes, yeah, salons are opening, but even my salons not open because they're still taking two weeks to figure out the proper um, protocols and and guidelines that they want to take, right? And so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily like unless you, you know for sure that somebody is like a vendor you're trying to compare them to is doing something that is allowed, right? Like I wouldn't go and give examples to a vendor saying, well, this person's doing this and that, but it's like, if that person is not listening um, to the government or you know, following what they should be following, then I think that's, that's pretty unfair to put on a vendor to expect them to um, do something that they shouldn't be doing in the first place. So I think it's important to keep that in mind. Again, every industry is different. Every person is different. Um, they all have different legal liabilities, um, as well as you know their own their own personal stuff. And so, I can't say for sure what would happen there, what the vendor, like you know what they're doing or shouldn't be doing, like. Um, but yeah, I okay. think I've kind of said.
0: Um, so last question we'll address here. It, it was it was sent to me privately. Can you, and once again, if if you still have questions, we're, we're not ignoring them. We will address them in a separate podcast episode if there are enough questions that come through. So um, this last question, can you please address the vendors asking for 50% of full payment to be paid even if a 500-person reception is canceled due to gathering bans? And I think that actually was um, related, give me give me a second, related to um, one of the questions I had, uh, I, I, uh, we could address um, through, the, through the screen share uh, and the person who DM me, I'm, I'm going to read off the, f- the fuller question of this mm-hmm. um, and then you can DM me and just correct me if this is wrong. So this is a scenario where I think a $6,000 deposit was paid to the banquet hall for a 500 person reception. There's no uh, way to do that, actually have that event in that place at that time because of the COVID restrictions. Uh, and that the vendor is refusing to return the deposit. There's a clause in the contract that states if this contract is null and void by way of deposits not paid or for any other reason, reason any funds received by the lesser is non-refundable, and the lessor will pay to the less and the lessee, sorry, the lesse will pay to the lesser 60% of the total contract amount as compensation for loss of income from the function less any deposits received. the end of that clause and then the question is are we entitled to any refunds and how do we go about getting them since the vendor has already refused?
1: yeah like that question was submitted on under under the other questions and um i purposely didn't answer that because as i said like i'm not going to give legal advice on here it's a very specific question that would require me to give you a fulsome response and opinion um so i have to keep that in mind I mean, they're not, like, you're not able to even have the event there. So for, for sure, like, it doesn't really make sense that they would take 60% of the money if there's really no option. But again, like, you'd have to talk to, talk to the vendor about, about that and and try to get whatever back and, and see what recourse you have. I mean, and on the flip, it's like, they're gonna, they'd have to take action against you to get the rest of the money back. Right? Like, that's not something that that's on them if they want you to fulfill something, and so that's kind of playing it, playing it by ear there. Um, and then this question about the vendor being able to keep the payment associated with wedding outfits. The wedding outfit, I would say that's a unique situation. I've already said um, I don't want to like, you know, keep beating a dead horse here. It's like everything is subjective. Um, if split, you know, like I don't know. Uh, in general, I'm just saying this is what it would look like, subjective or like on. Like on, on an objective scale of, you know, they they can't get the wedding outfit here. Like if it's already ready or not. Like it's ready, they they put their money and resources into it on their end um, in India, and it's just like shitty that it can't come, it can't get here. Um, which was what why my suggestion was just as like from a, an objective viewpoint, not even as a lawyer, is that like you know, see what we can what you can negotiate out with them, um, what they can give you, and you know, if they can give you some of the money back again, it's just so specific on on the people. Um, yeah. So I hope this is at least a little bit helpful. Oh, no worries.
0: Okay. Um, I know there were a lot of questions. We, uh, we did our best to uh, provide, you know, the, the most practical um, information and uh, facts that we could. And thank you, Rumi for taking mm-hmm. the, making the time. No worries. Doing this. Uh, are there any, do you have like but any last thing you wanna mention in the last 30 seconds before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, um, I, just wanna, I just wanna say, I mean, the nicest way possible, I would just appreciate if people don't um, bombard my Instagram with a bunch of follow-up questions to these questions. Um, you know, like I'm not, I, I wanted to give, I wanted to give as much um, insight as I could objectively from the legal side of things, but you know, I, I can't be giving um, legal advice over Instagram um, it does take a lot of time I, I'd need to go through everything of yours and ask you a bunch of questions. And I, I just don't have the time right now. And so any follow-up questions, as i is uh, saying, just send them off to him. Um, we'll try to answer them in podcast form. If we have enough to, maybe if not, we can find out, find a different way to actually answer those. Right. Oh, hold on. I'll just answer this last question. You mentioned that if couples aren't able to postpone their wedding. And forfeiting their deposit is a fair option. Would a court view other options as fair, such as partial deposit return or reimbursing the full deposit when the business resumes again in the future? Yeah, yeah, maybe. Like, I think that the court may, um, again, they're going to look at everything subjective. So once, let's say, I'll tell you, like, once like one case has kind of been set um, in law on this, if somebody goes forward with it, um, the court's going to continuously look at that. So it's all going to really be based on what, um, let's say, one, what one judge has said. Um, or they'll just look at it subjectively, and they may, this, it just depends on the judge you get, they may just say, hey, you should return the full amount, or you had enough money to, you know, um, so it's, it's always, everything's an option in law, literally, almost everything is an option in law, it's always changing, um, and so if you decide to go that route, then.
0: You want to, you want me to start scraping these, que- uh, any other questions into, like, a we can address them in, like, a podcast. I yeah, think.
1: yeah, statute of limitations is, Two years, I think, for this. So, yeah, you have a couple years.
0: Okay. Um, once again, uh, I, I want to be clear send any additional questions to info at plan events.ca. and I will do we can to um, get those questions addressed. Um, for anybody that signed up for this uh, event, later this evening, I will share the link of this recording to YouTube, the podcast, what, social, and all that. Um, mm-hmm if you have any feedback would love it um, this is you know from from my team this is the first time we put together an event like this um, and thank you rummy for being the first person to come on You're welcome. Um, and um yes we will send us email with links of this recording as well as a um i will give a date on the upcoming podcast once i figure that out to be honest and uh, mm-hmm. find from the seat of my pants on this Um,
1: I just want to add one thing. Sorry, about the two years. It's two years from the date that they refused. Okay. So not two years today. You have to go back to whenever your first communication was about the alleged breach. Alleged breach. I'm not going to say they breached because I don't know.
0: (laughs) Okay, awesome. So um, uh, I'll be sending out the links and all that. I'll I'll also be sending out just a really simple survey to get feedback from folks to get your thoughts on what you thought about this um, event and also, thoughts on if there might be any other things that uh, people who attended this might think is useful. It doesn't have to be COVID-related. It Doesn't have to be um, related to, you know, law. Um, just anything wedding-related. Okay. Um, I think that's it.
1: Yeah. Bye, guys. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thanks for your time, everybody. Thanks for attending. Yeah. No problem. We'll chat later on email. Bye.